welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. I just want to say thank you for joining us. It's my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Dan Martella told a story that I think is very fitting to what we're talking about here today. Once upon a time, there was a lighthouse that stood on a rocky stretch of coastline that was well known for its shipwrecks. At first, it was just a small hut with a small boat and a small team of volunteers that kept a watchful eye on the seas. And every time a ship found itself in trouble, they braved the rough seas to bring the people in. Over time, the lighthouse became a very popular life-saving station that people frequented often. Men, women, boys, girls joined by the hundreds to learn how to become effective rescue workers. They fixed up the place. They made it bright and attractive. Over time, the hard work of life-saving became less a focus, and it became more of a private club. Professional lifesavers were hired to do all the work while members stayed inside to enjoy each other's company. Well, one night there was a terrible shipwreck off the coast and multiple crews brought in loads and loads of cold, wet people. They were dirty and sick. They were from all over the world. Their skin was different color. They spoke different languages. And the beautiful clubhouse that they had fixed up became quite a mess. And taking care of all those people became a challenge. So the next week, the board of directors met together, and they said, well, that's not right. We should not have our sacred spaces be messed up like that. So they voted to build a shower house just outside the club so the people would have to come in and clean themselves up first before they were allowed to come in the clubhouse. The very next week, the life-saving station, some people said, you know, we want to look at getting out of the life-saving business. We've got a very comfortable, nice place here. We know each other. We know the club rules. Bringing in outsiders, it just really kind of messes everything up. But there was another group of people who stood up and said, no, life-saving is the reason why we're here. That's our mission. And everything around here we do ought to have something to do with life-saving. Unfortunately, the life-savers were voted down. So they moved down the coast and built a modest life-saving station. And a few years later, the same thing happened again. A lot of people joined. They fixed the place up. It got dirty every time shipwreck people were brought in, so they turned the whole place into a members-only private club. And now there are a number of exclusive country clubs along that shoreline, and shipwrecks happen all the time, and people die every day. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because I cannot think of a better picture of the church in the United States of America than that story. God has called his church, the bride of Jesus Christ, to be a lighthouse. To be a place where messy people who are facing certain death can come in just as they are, and the men and women who say we're lifesavers can love them and save their life. But yet I fear that in this country, churches are more country clubs than they are lighthouses. And I feel there's more people that are more comfortable with with fixing a place up and getting to know the people around me and making a little exclusive club than going out and actually being on the mission that God has called us to be. In the church today, we like to hire professional lifesavers to go out and do the actual work so we don't have to get messy. The problem is I just can't find that in my Bible anywhere. 
when Jesus has called all of us to be lifesavers. And church, can I just say this? Shipwreck happens all the time. Every day around us, people are dying, and I can no longer be okay with that. And as the pastor of this church, as God has called me to this community, I have to ask the question, which one are we? Are we a lighthouse or are we a clubhouse? See, we have to decide which one as a church that we can be because we can 100% control that, can't we? We can control whether we're going to be the lighthouse that God called us to be or we just want to be a safe, fun, little, clean clubhouse. Of which, can I just say, I have no part in that. If that's what we decide to do, that's great. I'm just not going to be a part of it. If you're a guest, <laughs> we're glad that you're here. Uh, we've been in a series we've been calling Jesus, and we've been walking through the life, ministry, and the teaching of Jesus. And for those of you watching online or during our podcast, again, we're so glad that you're doing that. We, we hope you're kind of coming in in the middle of the movie, so I really hope that you'll take some time to go back to our website or our YouTube channel and catch up watching the messages, um, listening to our podcast as well. Um, but we've been walking through this together, and each day we've had our daily readings, and I hope you've been doing those readings, church. I hope they've been giving life to you. We've been going through all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Monday through Saturday. Sunday's kind of a grace day. It's kind of a catch-up day. So if you missed out this week, go ahead and catch up today. It's okay. We love you. We forgive you. Um, but then we also have our discussion groups. Every week, we want you to get together and talk about what you've been reading, what God's been teaching you, how you're really going to get a lot out of that. And last week, we're, we're kind of getting to the end of what we're calling our act two. So we took the life of Jesus, and we kind of broke it up into three acts. Act one was follow me. Act two, we called cost of discipleship. And really, the second act of any play or movie or, or, or trilogy is really kind of the most dramatic, right? It takes up all the tension that was set up, and it sets up the dramatic conclusion. That's what act two did. And we're going to kind of be wrapping that up today as Jesus continues his final journey to Jerusalem. And next week, we're going to move into Act 3. I'm calling it Act 3. And what we're going to do is we're going to start with the final week of Jesus' life, Jesus' triumphal entry. And so for the four weeks leading up till Easter, we're going to unpack the last week of Jesus' life. And, and I'm going to really go into depth on this, real excited about this, this part of our series. And if you missed, this is a great time to come in, right? The end of the movie is always the best of it, right? We're going to come to the end of the movie together. And, and next week, I, I'm, I'm real excited about this. I'm going to preach on a message that I've never preached an entire message on before. I'm going to preach on the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you might be like real excited about that. Say, oh yeah, the second coming of Jesus. I want to hear all about that. Well, I just want to tell you something. You're probably going to be disappointed. Okay. What a great promo, right? Hey, come next week. You're probably going to be disappointed, <laughs> but, but it's important and it's going to be something that we're going to walk through and talk about as well. So I'm excited to do that as well. So today we're going to wrap up act two. And while we do that, I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you a Bible. You can also download Version. It's a free app available on any smartphone or device. Um, you can do it right now if you want. Luke chapter 19. And while you're going there, just to kind of set this up for you, kind of to catch you up if you've missed it, you know, that act two we've talked about, we really talked about there's a decision that needs to be made. If you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, there is kind of a line in the sand that says, okay, what does that mean? For example, I can either harbor resentment toward other people or I can accept what God has forgiven me of. But you got to pick one. You can't have a foot in both of those things. See, I can either live and work for the approval of other human beings, or I can rest in the comfort and the peace of what God has already said about me. I can't do both. I've got to pick one of those things. I can keep the focus on my life, not get, getting messy, keeping myself all clean and safe, or I can go out and play in the mud and help other people who are in need. you got to pick one. We can't do both. 
And last week, we talked about our finances and how much we all love talking about our finances, don't we? And I'm so glad, um, you know, nobody got too mad at me last week, but that's okay. But, but in this world, we can either do all, we can save all the money we can, we can, we can work for ourselves, we can build up our own kingdom, we can get all we can so we can sit on our can, right? That's the American lie, isn't it? Or we can have that childlike faith when it comes to our finances. We can have a dependence on God. We can be obedient to him, and we can live in the wonder of all that God's done for us. But church, you can't do both. You've got to pick one if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And and so just to kind of close this out today, on Luke 19, I'm going to start in the 11th verse. Jesus tells a story on his way to Jerusalem that I think is going to be so powerful to what we're talking about. Verse 11. While they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Now, throughout this series, as we've been reading God's word together, I've been trying to model this for you. When you read a passage, pause, take a moment, and unpack some of the things. What is this this verse saying? What does this mean? And I'm going to do it with this verse. I'm going to pull out two things from this verse that you need to understand. The first thing is where it says, they were near Jerusalem. I mentioned this last week. Jesus, before the final week of his life, set out on a journey to Jerusalem to be very intentional about going to Jerusalem. And he was very clear about what his purpose was in Jerusalem. He said, listen, three different times, he said, listen, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be murdered. But don't worry, three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. To which all the disciples said, really? What, what does that mean? He has no clue what that means, right? But, but that's what he said. That was where it was happening. And Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem. There was a festival called Passover that was happening. That was a very important season for the Jewish people. And that's what Jesus was going for was Passover. There was a lot of crowds. There was a lot of hype. There was a lot of excitement for that. But the second part of that verse I think is so important that sometimes we miss. Jesus was near Jerusalem, but the kingdom of God, people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear all at once. You see, the people in Israel had a misunderstanding. They thought that the Messiah was going to show up, and the goal of the Messiah was to overthrow the Romans and reestablish the nation of Israel. See, Israel had lived under the oppression of the Roman army. And we know this very well in our today's world where a country will come in and take over another country. We're kind of seeing that right now in our world, won't we? Think of the same picture as what happened to the nation of Israel. The Romans had come in and they had conquered them for, for hundreds of years. And they had been oppressing them, and they had been asking God to relieve them. And they thought the Messiah was going to save them from the Romans. And see, that's our problem, isn't it? We want God to save us from my problems. God, help me get through what I need to. God, give me what I need. But, but I want to tell you something, church. Jesus needed to help people understand this, and we need to understand it too. Jesus didn't come to save Israel from the Romans. That was way too small of a mission. Jesus came to save the entire human race, every man, woman, child who ever lived from the big problem, which is their sin. And Jesus tried to help the disciples understand it by this point. And if I could just say it again, are we a lighthouse or are we a clubhouse? Is it about me and and making it good for me or is it about being the light to the world? See, God intended the nation of Israel to be the light of the world and to redeem all of mankind, not just their, their country. So for the last time in this series, I want to ask you the question that we've been walking through during this act two. Do you want God? Do you want to use God? Or do you want God to use you? Pick one. 
Do you want to use God? Do you want God to be that lucky kind of rabbit foot you can pull out when it's convenient for you and give it a little rub? God, give me what I need right now. And then, then God, you go back over here and I'm going to put you away. Okay, you stay over there. Stay, God. Stay. I don't need you right now. Or are you going to let God use you? Because see, when you let God use you, that's a surrender moment. We say, God, whenever, wherever, whatever it takes, I'm open to you. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So Jesus helps Given this context, Jesus tells his disciples this very important story. In verse 12, Jesus said, There was a man of noble birth who went to a distant country to have himself appointed a king and then return. So he called his ten servants and gave them ten minna. Put this to work, this money to work, he said, until I come back. Now it's important you understand a couple things historically about what's going on right here. The first thing is that when that man traveled away, we have to think about travel back in the first century. See, when people traveled in the first century, there was no guarantee they would ever come back. <laughs> they didn't have the roads that we have. They didn't have the health care. They didn't have the security of that. They could be robbed. They could be killed. They could be murdered. All kinds of things could happen. So when a very rich person left his home and traveled away, there's maybe a 50-50 shot that he'd ever come back again. So what is this man doing? He's protecting his assets. He said, listen, I want this, what I built, to continue on even if I don't come back. So I'm going to appoint these servants. I'm going to trust them with my wealth, and I'm going to enforce that to them so that way either when I come back, it'll be still here for me. Because that guy anticipated he was coming back, right? Nobody who ever left on a journey thought, well, I hope I don't come back. No, he was intending to come back. But what he said is, I want to make sure that it's here for me when I come back. Does that make sense? So that's where this man was going. So he put these workers in charge of his kingdom. Verse 15, he was made king, however, and returned home. He came back. Then he sent for his servants who he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained. Now, again, just to recap, the king left. He gave his servants this wealth. He entrusted it to them. He said, put this to work. I'm going to leave and I'm going to come back. And so when he returned, he called them in to see how they did while he was gone. You catching the visual here where we're going with this? All right. Verse 16. The first servant came in and said, Sir, your minna has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, the master replied, because you have been trustworthy with a very small matter. Take charge of 10 cities now that he was king. The second came in and said, Sir, your men have earned five more. The master answered, You take charge of five cities. Remember again, the king gave a mission. He gave his servants these men, and he said, Put them to work, and I will be back. These first two servants did exactly what the king asked them to. He took what he gave them, they put it to work. One gained ten more, and one gave five more. Here's what I want you to understand the king expected a return. Some will have more, some will have less. Here's the danger, and I don't want you to miss this before we move on. Sometimes we look at the guy with 10 and you say, I only got five, what's wrong with me? Okay, that's a dangerous place to go. There's nothing wrong with you. God has given each one of us what we can handle and what we can do. And so don't spend your time wasting around looking, why do they have 10, why do I only have five, what's wrong with me? God expects us to put our investments to work. God expects us to use the gift that he has given us. God has made each one of us unique in what we are and who we are. And that's what we need to do. We need to put to work what God has given us. Because there will be an account. But there's a third servant in this story. 
And the third servant is really the focus of what Jesus is trying to drive home and what we're going to try to drive home today. In verse 20, another servant came in and said, Sir, here's your minna. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. Two things I want to pull from this verse that are very important to understand that he said. The first thing he says was, I kept it laid away. He was given a gift. A gift was given to him. And instead of putting that gift to work, he just kept it for himself. He hid it away. But the second thing he said was even more important. He said, I was afraid of you. Do you know what the servant is saying to the master right here? See, it's really your fault. See, see, it, you're just too hard. And, and it's just too, it's really, it's really your fault. See, you kind of gave me too much or, or, you know, there's all these things that could have happened. And I wonder how many times this happens to God. See, God, it's really, it's really your fault that I'm not doing this. God, if you would have made me more talented, God, if you would have given me more time, if you would have given me more energy, God, if you would have given me more money, see, I would have done so much more. See, God, it's really your fault. That's exactly what the servant is saying to the king here. And look how the master replies in verse 22. And these are hard words, church, but this is the words of Jesus. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put the money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? He said to those standing by, take away the minna from him and give it to the one who has ten. If you got your note sheet, I want you to take these out. This is this thing that's on your chair here on the back of it. It's blank. Um, I'm going to give you some things that I'd like you to write down um, as far as unpacking this. Um, and here's the first one. Followers of Jesus. There's three things we need to understand from this parable about being a follower of Jesus. And here's the first one. Followers of Jesus are given a gift. Followers of Jesus are are giving a gift. See, the servant in this parable did nothing to earn the gift that they were given to them. It was simply the servant, the king said, listen, I'm leaving. I'm going to come back. While I'm gone, here's a gift, and I want you to put it to work. It was given like a gift. And if you remember back last week, we made the statement that everything from God is a gift, isn't it? Everything we've been given. And you might say, well, I worked hard for my money. Who gave you the ability to work? Well, I, I, I went to school and I got an education. Who gave you the mind to understand that? Or who gave you the social affluence that you could go get that education? Well, I saved up all my money. Who allowed you to save that money? Everything we have is a gift from God. And, and I made this statement last week. I said, if you don't understand your dependence from God, that's okay. God will settle that at your funeral. Because I've yet to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. It doesn't happen. Naked we come in, naked we leave. Everything we have depends on God. See, the servant was given a gift from God. And each one of us is given a gift. And I don't want you to understand what the actual gift is. Because I think sometimes we get distracted by the money part of it. The gift that God has given every single person in this room is eternal life. Now, I say that, and I think we hear that in church so many times that I think it loses its meaning and understand it. Do you understand that we've been given the gift of eternal life? Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. That's what you and I deserve. For our sins, what we get paid for, for committing sins, to going against what God says, is death. That's the consequence of that. But the gift of God is what, church? Eternal Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We try to do it on our own, don't we? 
We try to make our way. If I'm a good enough person, if I go to church enough, if I read my Bible enough, if I help enough people, I'll be good enough. And then we'll have the scales, right? Am I good? I'll outweigh my bad. And God will say, oh, you're good enough. So you made the cut. Congratulations. You get to heaven. That's heresy. That's nowhere in my Bible. We need to understand none of us deserve it. It's a gift that is freely given to all of us. There's nothing we can do to earn it. In the last two weeks, we looked at people who've come to Jesus and said, what must I do? What must I do? And remember what Jesus' response was? Just go be perfect. That's all you got to do. Just go be perfect, and then you can come into heaven, to which we say, well, we can't do that. Exactly. That's why Jesus did it for us. He lived the perfect, sinless life. He's the only person who's ever existed who does not deserve the condemnation. And yet it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, so you and I could have the blessed gift of salvation. Church, amen to that? And they're not nearly as excited about this as I think you should be. Okay, come on. That's exciting, right? Praise God. We have a gift of eternal life. There's nothing in planet Earth that can harm us. Am I scared of Vladimir Putin? No. What's he going to do, kill me? Okay, great, I get to go home and be with Jesus. Am I scared of cancer or death or anything? No, I don't have any struggle with that because I have a gift of eternal life. It's the greatest gift we've understand, and here's our problem. We don't understand this gift. We don't understand this amazing gift of eternal life because it's only a gift that you can receive. And we have to receive it. Jesus said, for all those who receive him, become children of God. God holds out this free gift to every man, woman, and child. And he says, here, I already did it for you. You don't have to do anything else. You just have to come and take the gift. But it's not a gift unless you receive it. See, there was a man, and I don't have his name right now, but President Andrew Jackson was president at the time. And he was facing a capital punishment offense. And President Andrew Jackson gave him a presidential pardon. And he said, listen, I'm going to pardon you. I'm going to ex exonerate your death sentence. You're free from your death sentence. And the guy refused the gift. The case went all the way before the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court of the United States said, listen, you can only give a pardon if it's received. And that man, for whatever reason, went to his own death because he refused to accept the pardon that the president had given him. And the church, how sad is it? That so many men and women and children, and going back to my shipwreck analogy, die every single day. And they are eternally separated from their Heavenly Father, and there's no going back. Why? Because they don't understand the gift that's been given. And if you have loved ones who don't yet know or haven't received that gift, church, I want to just plant that seed in your heart. Because I think if we knew, if we knew our children were facing certain death, right? As parents, we, we see our kids like run into the street, and we don't say, now, son, I need you to stop and come back, right? What do we do? We grab them. We say, hey, right? And then we have the conversation with them. We kind of scare them a little bit. But listen, we don't understand this gift. We don't understand the urgency that says, hey, why do I come here every Sunday? I love you guys. I do. You know why I come here every Sunday? Because there's people in this community that don't know Jesus Christ yet that haven't received that gift. And if they die tonight, they're going to be eternally separated from their heavenly father. I can't be okay with that. That's why I can't pastor a church that wants to be a clubhouse, not a lighthouse. We have to be a lighthouse. We have to be an open door that says, I don't care who you are or what you've done, welcome home. I don't care if you're drunk. I don't care if you're high. I don't care if you're sleeping with your neighbor's wife. Unless you're my neighbor, then we have to have a conversation about that, okay? But welcome home. We're glad you're here. There is a gift of God 
and you can receive it today. We don't understand this gift. See, here's the thing. Every follower of Jesus Christ is given a gift, but here's the second one, and I think this is where we miss it sometimes. Followers of Jesus Christ are given a gift, but followers of Jesus Christ are commanded to work. We are commanded to work. Now, I'm sure most of you have jobs or have worked a job before. Let me ask you a question. In your job, either current job or former employer, did your boss give you suggestions? Or did he give you directions, he or she? See, when you work at a job, a boss doesn't give you suggestions. They give you directions. And if you don't follow directions, the boss says, that's fine. Now you no longer work here. Do you see how that works? Why is it that we are more compliant with our human employers than our heavenly Savior? Why is it that we care more what our boss says about us and we'll be more compliant with them than what our God already says? See, in Matthew 28, Jesus was pretty clear. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them, making disciples, and teaching them everything I commanded you. That was not a suggestion. It wasn't the great recommendation from Jesus. It was called the Great Commission. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. We are called to be the light of the world. And can I just say this? A lot of us are busy. We're busy working, but here's the problem. Which one are we building? Are we building my kingdom or his kingdom? I asked this question last week, and I think it's so important. Whose kingdom are you building? Many of us are busy, but are we busy building God's kingdom? Are we busy building our kingdom? Are we a lighthouse? Are we a clubhouse? And it comes back to the same problem I said before. We don't understand the gift. We don't understand the gift of eternal life that we've been given. Because once you understand the gift of eternal life, how could you not give it away? This was Israel's problem. Israel thought Jesus is going to come. It's going to set us free from the Romans. And Jesus said, you're, you're short-sighted. You don't understand. I didn't come to set you free from the Romans. I came to set the whole world free from their sin. And we want to give it away. So the followers of Jesus, we are given a gift. We're expected to work, not for our salvation. That's taken care of from the cross. But we're expected to share this gift with others. And here's the third one that's so important. Followers of Jesus are expecting his return. If I can just be honest with you, going back to this, the story that Jesus shared, that third servant, the reason why he didn't do what he's supposed to do is because he didn't expect his master to return. He thought he was scot-free. He thought, this guy went away. We're never going to see him again. That's why he hid it. Because if the master's gone and the master never comes back, guess what I get to do? I get to keep all this for myself. What? He never gave me 10 minutes. I don't know what you're talking about. See how that plays out? That's what the servant does. Now, let me ask you some questions. This is kind of hard. If we expect Jesus to return, which I hope you do and we'll talk about next week, Jesus is coming back, can I tell you that? He's the king in this story. We're the servants. He went away. He's coming back. If we expect Jesus to come back, why would you harbor any resentment or unforgiveness? Do you know how embarrassing that's going to be to stand before Jesus and say, oh, hey, Jesus, I received this free gift of eternal life, but this guy over here, I, I just can't have anything to do with him. You know, Jesus, I know you gave me this gift of eternal life, but you know what this church did to me over here? I, pff, I have nothing to do with them or those people anymore. See, I, 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 can't, I can't do that. Wouldn't that be kind of embarrassing? How about when we stand before Almighty God? You know what my Bible says? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will stand before your Savior one day. And when you stand before your Savior, I guarantee you, you could care less what the other people think about you. 
And those people in your life right now who their opinions are so important and they matter so much to you aren't going to matter when you're standing before Jesus. See, I don't think we expect Jesus to return. I think that's the problem. How about this one? When we see people all around us with needs and with hurt, and, and, and we think, oh, I should really do something about that, but oh, it's going to be inconvenient for me. It's going to be difficult for me to help with that. And I would encourage you to read Matthew 25. We're going to get there. Jesus is pretty clear about that. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats, and he's going to look at this group over here, and he's going to say, welcome into my kingdom, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And they'll say to him, Lord, when did we see you like that? He said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did to me. And then the second part of that story, Jesus goes to some other people, and he says the opposite. And they say, Lord, when did we do that? He said, if you didn't do that for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. See, Jesus calls us if he's expecting our return. How about where Jesus says, do not build up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. I've already talked about the great American lie. Some people call it the American dream, right? Build up all I can and, and retire and sit back and take it easy. Jesus, I have a great house. Jesus, I had a great car. Jesus, I lived in the richest nation that has ever existed in human history. And you know what I did with all that wealth? I used it for myself. And I know you asked me to return 10% to me, but I, just, I kept most of it for myself, Jesus. See, I don't think we expect the king to return. The king is going to return. And one day we're going to stand before him. And, and I'll be honest with you, church. This was life-changing for me when I first realized this, when I first understood this. I want to make sure that I bring the temperature down a little bit right now because I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. Because I have to think in my life sometime, when I'm interacting with someone or when I'm having a thought or an emotion, I do think this in my mind sometimes. When I stand before Jesus, which, which I will, what am I going to be proud that I did or ashamed that I didn't do? Do you see how that filter works? Do you see how that changes some conversations? Do you see how that changes some decisions we might make in our life? When I stand before Jesus, am I going to be okay with this moment or am I going to be ashamed of this moment? Because we will. That's what my Bible says. I'm not talking your salvation. Please don't hear that. You don't, you don't earn your salvation. That's a gift from God. What I'm saying is, is Jesus is going to look at us and say, listen, what's the evidence that you receive this gift? Because I would say it again. The problem is we don't understand the gift. Verse 22, his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. The return that God is expecting is other people. And if we are truly received the gift, if we truly are putting the gift to work, what we are expecting to do is we're expecting to share that gift with other people. And I'm going to go back to the beginning, verse 11, and I'm going to read this one more time. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them this parable that we just talked about. Why? Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. The very next part of Luke that's recorded literally right after this story, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. We're going to talk about that next week. It's called the triumphal entry. You maybe heard it called Palm Sunday. It's when Jesus enters Jerusalem. Again, come back next week. We'll talk about that. But why do I think Jesus said this parable literally the very next thing right before he did that? Because he wanted us to understand the sense of urgency. He wanted his disciples to recognize that his time on this earth was coming to an end. And now it's time to receive the gift that he has given us. It's time to take that gift and put it to work because he is coming back. And church, can I just tell you, I'll just give you this spoiler for next week. You ready for this? The king is coming back. 
He is coming back. And when he comes back, how do you want to receive him? Are we going to say we're a lighthouse or we're just going to build a clubhouse? If we truly believe the way to eternal life is Jesus Christ and to reject him means eternal separation, what could be more urgent on planet Earth than being lifesavers? And I think as a church, not our church locally, but globally, we have this idea that we just need to hire the professional lifesavers. Oh, we'll hire a pastor and he'll go be the professional lifesaver. I said it before, that's not even in my bylaw. Now, do we need professionals? Yes. Okay, do we need somebody to kind of guide? Absolutely. Do I feel called to do that for this community? Yes. And as long as God calls me to do that, I will stand up here and do it. But I refuse to be a clubhouse. We are going to be a church that's going to be a lighthouse. We're going to, first of all, receive the free gift of salvation. If there's anybody in this room or listening to the sound of my voice who has not yet received that free gift of eternal salvation, I want that to be today. I want you to say, today is the day where I made that decision, and I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go to work on myself. I'm going to try to get better about things. I'm going to take the great commission and the great commandment seriously. I'm going to invest in other people because I know that one day God is going to return. And again, can I just say it one more time? There's only two options. Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he's going to say, you wicked and lazy servant. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of Jesus. Which one do you want to be? Are we going to be a lighthouse? Are we going to be a clubhouse? Let's pray. God, I always have the same problem at this point. In a minute, I'm going to have to put this microphone down. I'm going to have to live out what you just taught. And that's always the hard part. So the first thing that I need to do is I need to ask for your forgiveness when I failed in these areas. When I was more concerned about my comfort or my protection or my reputation, and I missed opportunities to be a lighthouse. And God, I thank you so much for the free gift of eternal salvation that you blessed my life with. God, I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. But through your great love for me, you provided it, God. And through your great love for me, you restored my marriage, even though I didn't deserve it. And my boys have had the privilege of of growing up in in a two-parent home where their parents love each other and they love you and, and they've had those seeds planted in their heart. God, that's such a wonderful gift that you've given me. And God, you called Elaine and I five years ago to to move to Yankton and and all the blessings that have happened. And and we're going to celebrate our four-year anniversary, God. I'm so thankful and grateful for all the things that you've given to us, God. But in my heart and in my spirit, I know by your spirit, God, you know we haven't even really begun yet. God, I'm so grateful for the first three years of this church. But God, I know the best days are still yet to come. Because I know there's hundreds and hundreds of people that I see every day that if they were to die tonight, they would be eternally separated from you. And I can't be okay with that. God, I see ships every day that are crashing and I see people that are drowning. And I want to pastor a church where we're okay going out in the ocean and grabbing the people and saying, come. You don't have to clean up first, just come. We're not going to build a shower outside so you can get cleaned up and then you can come and be part of our club. No. 
We're not going to get comfortable. We're not going to focus on ourselves. We're always going to be looking for that face that we don't know. We're always going to put ourselves out there and love. Does it mean we'll get hurt sometimes? Uh-huh. Does it mean people will, will take advantage of us? Absolutely. They did it to you too. Does it mean that people will maybe talk bad about us behind our back? Jesus, they did it to your face. But does it mean we should care? Not in their opinion, but what you say. Because Jesus, every man, woman, and child listening to my voice right now will stand before you one day. You will come home. Some of us will get there first. Some of us will go and meet you first before you come. But there will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And may not one person that I know fail to do that before they stand before you. Because at that point, it's too late. Jesus, when the king comes home, it's, it's over. It's game over. God, I pray that we would take advantage of every single opportunity, every single time, to love people and offer that free gift of salvation. God, I thank you and I praise you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. You can also check out more content on our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, at Celebrate Yankton. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and share with others. God bless. Thank you.